Welcome to Comfort Monk. This week we've got a really cool, uh, innovative musician. We've got Angela from the band Shoo Shoo. She and uh, Jamie Stewart are the main members of that project right now. And she's been with them for probably the last 10 years or so. Um, but we had a really good time talking. She, we, we went through, uh, they put out a few kind of interlinked music videos uh, for their newest record, which is called Girl with Basket of Fruit. Um, and we talked a lot about kind of all, all that went into making the music videos because she had a, a, a strong hand, uh, you know, she produced them and directed them and stuff like that. Um, and we just got into some of the iconography of them. We got into some of her influences. Uh, we talked a little bit about David Lynch. Uh, Shu Shu made a really cool reinterpretation of uh, all the Twin Peaks music uh, right around the time when the third season, uh, Twin Peaks Return, was coming out. And she talked a little bit about uh, her relationship to David Lynch and all that. But yeah, it was really good, interesting conversation. Well, I, I love what I've heard of her music. It's definitely this kind of almost psychedelic, experimental, house-influenced stuff. And, and the music video you were showing me made me think of, of that crazy film, Holy Mountain. Um, just kind of like uh, unsettling, but you're not sure why. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting music and... Uh, just I love anytime we get a guest who's kind of a curveball in the sense of uh, if if nothing else genre wise it's it's not something that we've touched on a lot um, but yeah uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to this one yet but I'm really excited to hear how the conversation went just because I know that uh, she's an, an extremely creative person and that there's a lot of a lot of great talking points you guys could have covered oh yeah. Well, I think you'll enjoy. I hope all of our listeners enjoy. And uh, y'all have a good week. And please comment and subscribe. Oh, shit. Yeah, if, if you guys... You can't uh, comment. Yeah, I, if, if you it. enjoy the, the episode, uh, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing. It goes a long way. But, yeah, we're going to jump into it. Thanks, guys. day job is I work and I work as a deputy for public health meaning like deputy is a funny term but um, I oversee public health related things for um, one of the county people here um, so I mean it was kind of crazy with all the COVID stuff going on and then this hit and my boss has a really big background and a lot of the like not the civil rights movement um, like during Elma Cape or something, he's like the generation right after that. So he's mm -hmm. had a lot of close ties with people who worked in that, worked with like the Southern Christian leadership. Um, and kind of a lot of like the post Elma Cape civil rights movements and was around obviously like during the 92 civil unrest and everything. So it's been a lot going on. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of movement, but you know. I think that's kind of the same everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I, I, I think every state uh, is having protests. A lot of other countries are too. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, obviously the South is kind of a, a poorer and more rural area. Um, and I've seen a bunch of like really small towns around us that have had protests and stuff, which is really good. Um, yeah, yeah. Everyone's frustrated, you know? They're tired of this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, in a lot of ways, it's the perfect storm in some ways, right? Like, you had people with all this coronavirus thing building up a lot of frustration in that way. And, you know, there's already a lot of economic strain and social strain there. And then this happens on top of it. And, you know, I, I think at some point people were like, well, that's it. <laughs> enough is enough you know yeah yeah it definitely does feel like kind of a, a pressure cooker um you know with trump and covid 
and uh, you know, just I, I was I was talking to somebody this week, um, and uh, he had just turned fifty, uh, and he was he was saying he was like I understand like why your generation is so angry, and I was like yeah I just turned thirty, and so September eleventh happened when I was eleven, mm-hmm. and we've been at war since then. So I was like I'm mm-hmm. thirty, two decades of my life has been a nonstop mm. war with no end in sight. Um, mm. And I mean, that's insane. Uh, you know, there's people that are going to be voting in this next election that will have never lived in a time of peace, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, I'm a lot of my work evolves around trauma prevention and like violence intervention, trauma prevention. And one thing that I am very nervous about is not just like the individual trauma, but the community trauma and the generational trauma that's gonna come out of all this happening. Hoping that we have a little bit of better tools and understanding about how that affects, you know, not just on like a single person basis, but on a community basis to do better this time. But I think the impacts are gonna be huge. Yeah, I can't imagine the the mental health resources that are gonna it's gonna take to you know, heal from all this. Well, it's a good time for really a lot of thinking, right? Introspection and also just finding those connections with people. Yeah, definitely. So um, as, as deputy in the the housing department, what's your kind of background? Um, Do you do social work or something like that? um, I actually have a law degree and I'm a licensed attorney. I, did a lot of work in like, different types of public interest law with stints with like um, during law school, I w- worked with like the North Carolina public defender's office and ACLU in North Carolina. Um, and then, then eventually I realized the work I really wanted to do is in policymaking and not so much like the legal part. Like I hated being in court. I hated huh. the adversarial aspect of it, like fighting with other lawyers and the judges. Um, so I eventually I find myself to county doing policy work and then um, somehow just ended up in public health. But I really like it. It's a, not a field that I have much background in, but, you know, I learned I'm still learning a lot. And it intersects with so many different things, like not just health itself, but you look at the social determinants of health in terms of how does our built environment and land use and you know, like a liquor store down the street or policies regarding everything affect um, people's health. And I'm lucky enough to be in a generally progressive county who thinks about that stuff and has explicitly acknowledged that racism plays into people's health um, and their well-being. So it's a, it's a good place to be doing that type of work. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like you really can put kind of your background to to use, uh, you know, and get some kind of environmental justice for people. I'm hoping. You know, I think we all kind of do whatever we can and where we feel the most useful to do the work. We are hoping makes a difference. I guess. I don't know. That's cool. So you got a law degree. Um, You've been making music with uh, Jamie Stewart for, I think, more than a decade now. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let me think. I think I first met Jamie when I was like 19 or 20 through Friends of Friends, and we worked on some stuff. Initially, like more visual art-related things. I think I did some like photos and videos for him and some lyric writing. Uh, and we just kind of stayed friends over the years. And I think I joined the band uh, maybe like five or six years later. I'm really bad with dates. I'm mm-hmm. really sorry. Like, oh, no problem. No problem. Like yeah. years. Like if you ask anyone's age, I can barely remember my own age and years. So, <laughs> Yeah. I, the reason I was asking that was to get a sense of uh, were you doing double duty, like going to law school and stuff like that? And active in the, the music scene. That's a lot of work. Yeah. I know law, <laughs> law school is pretty much, 
two full-time jobs. I actually took a year off of law school to um, go on tour, actually, because it was right when Carol Lee had quit. And then he needed somebody to, like, he had, I think he had tourists lined up and needed somebody to fill in. Um, but I was like, all right, I'll just do it. So I took a year off, went on tour. And then since then, it's been, more, like, that's why I'm not, um, like, in the regular touring lineup. And that lineup has changed so much over the years. Because I can't, I've always worked or had some kind of job or other obligations, so... I do flyaway shows or like when we did Twin Peaks for a while, a lot of it were weekend shows. I took Mm -hmm. vacation time, like two weeks off here and there. But yeah, I just, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do both. Um, Not everyone can. That's awesome. Um, I was actually wondering about those, uh, those Twin Peaks shows. Uh, Did you have any kind of relationship with Twin Peaks um, before y'all started working on that? Was that kind of an inspiration for, you know, for the music before, you know, reimagining all of that? Yeah. Um, mine came a little bit late. I have to say that I first watched Twin Peaks when I was in college. Um, but I think my general cultural knowledge is pretty came a little bit late because my parents didn't raise me with, you know, like records or TV, like we never had cable and I very like strict TV time. Um, so in college, I, when I first started watching Twin Peaks, I think I was just like, what the, what the hell is going on? Like, what is this? And yeah. I was like, I remember the first thing that stuck out for me was, I think it was like the first episode and there's a line that's like, there's a fish in the percolator. And I was like, what the fuck is a percolator? And like, <laughs> but I think that's part that kind of fascinates me. It's just like makes up weird, obviously like the strangeness of um, Lynch, but it juxtaposition, juxtaposed with this like Americana, like this nostalgic American vibe that I, I think as like an immigrant child have mixed relationships with too. Mm-hmm. But like, kind of that that um, undertone of it, I think, just lends to um, the fetish and the quiche of it, which I really appreciate, you know? But, I mean, how do you forget something like Twin Peaks after you watch it? Yeah, just, yeah, true. Yeah. How did you like the third season? Uh, I love it. I think it's better than the first two seasons, personally. it It's more my style. yeah. My favorite David Lynch movie is uh, Inland Empire mm-hmm. with uh, Laura mm-hmm. Dern. Um, and the third season just had a lot of what I loved about that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's nice watching it. Um, we saw the David Lynch movies that came out before. As you keep seeing all the tie-ins and links. And you're also just like, oh, yeah. David, like this has just been in your brain for all your life, right? Like, and it's just like continuous stream and like themes and images that keeps reappearing. And you're just like, you're just in this world. Like, I want to be in that world. Like, can you, can you adopt <laughs> me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. He always, uh, I think it's part of like his character too. Like I, you know, his public persona, but he always talks about like, basically just you just let you just turn your brain off and then when your brain has like you know something fires in your brain and you have image just write it down and eventually you'll have (laughs) good images which is kind of an insane way to work yeah no he's he's fascinating i have to um my far away like interaction with, with him as distant as they were have always been memorable like one, I just saw him at one of like when we played a festival disruption in LA. You know, we saw him, we chatted. Like he was obviously like just smoking cigarettes inside. Like he did not give a <laughs> fuck in LA in 2018. Like yeah. it's not a lot. But he's like, I'm the English. I'll do whatever the fuck I want, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I said hi. It was really nice. Like took photos and stuff. Um, and then a little bit later, we're making the music video for. Um, that I cannot remember the name, but it was one of the music videos for Shushu where like, um, we're in a theater and stuff. And I had emailed 
David's assistant because that's like our. I don't. I don't think people email David directly. You know, like. <laughs> Um, and I was like, "Hey, can you tell him that I had this dream where I need him in this music video because I'm gonna tackle him down onto the ground." <laughs> <laughs> so I just it pop. I just it wouldn't be down. I just was gonna lunge at him and tackle him onto a mattress. Like he won't get hurt. And I know it's like ridiculous, but I just had a dream, so I have to ask. And he very nicely, of course, wasn't you know did not accept. But very nice to be like, well, like, that's fine. I'm glad you reached out. But, like, I just don't go out ever for anything. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I don't do anything. So I was like, okay, that's fair, you know. Plus, I don't know if I would have allowed me to tackle me. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't expect yeah. a yes. but mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What if you had said yes and then you'd be... Square oh my God, tackle David Lynch. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of bring, brings me to uh, you were saying like your first kind of interactions with uh, Jamie. It was like photography and video stuff, right? Um, so is that kind of like the first art that kind of caught caught you, like visual um, stuff? I would say my first love or creativity outlet was writing. Um, I had a very cliched dream of wanting to be a novelist when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, I think because my dad always encouraged writing, he always encouraged books. Yeah, you know, I, I did. I also remember, you know, having my first job and then with my first big paycheck, buying a little film camera and then starting to take a lot of photos. But yeah, I think I was just kind of like any other teenager who grew up in the suburbs of LA. Like, you're kind of exposed to a lot of things but also not exposed to things because it was also pre-internet mm -hmm. um so you just buy a little bit of everything and whatever you can get your hands on i i get the i have the suspicion that you have a lot to do with some of the shushu music videos um and y'all did like a, a trilogy of sorts for the new record and i don't want to bore you with what i think they're about um <laughs> But uh, <laughs> was that, um, like, for you, I'm trying to find a, a less abstract way of saying this, but uh, for you, is the the visual side of things, of what you do in the band, sort of, like, as important as the music itself? Because that, that's my impression, at least. I think they're all really interrelated. And I think if you do something right and make it really work with the other aspects, then it elevates both, right? Like, if I had a video, but the music was not great, then I think the videos would have sucked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then, like, obviously, you know, I, um, I mean, I think it just depends on what form people are taking in, and I think it will resonate differently for different people. And so I think it's just another way of just communicating, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and as far as, yeah, the videos go, I mean, for a long time, and I think a little bit more now, we never really had a budget or like really kind of a classic approach to music video making where you like hire people and then go and shoot videos. Like, I think for a long time, we just had whoever reached out and was like, hey, I like your band. I want to make a music video. We're like, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And then put out there, sometimes a label would you know, have somebody make it for us. But then at some point, I think we're like, we should just, we decided to just make our own. And then over time, I think that just became a little more and more developed. Um, so I actually asked the label for some money too, for some events to cover video costs so we can make a little better ones. Um, and at some point, Jamie was just like, you're pretty good at it. I think you should just make all the videos. <laughs> I was like, okay. I really enjoy doing them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it definitely comes through. Um, I was wondering about the the other actors in them. Um, it it's they all seemed like kind of like dancers or something, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I didn't know what if you know the the other actors and kind of what they're into, but they all seemed very like kinetic and like they're like. I don't know, gymnasts or bo or bodybuilders or, <laughs> you know, uh, dancers or something like that. 
Oh, I think they'll all be very happy to hear that. They're all friends. So none of the actors that I use in our videos are like um, actors or like hire people. Usually it's just like, oh, if you're my okay. friend, you're bound to be in one of my music videos at some point, you know, because I'll just be like, hey, you should just do this. Um, but there are a couple people who have a background in performative art. There's Ron Athey, who is just like an icon um, and done amazing work that incorporates like the corporal body and the mind and the spiritual in performative and visual art for decades. Um, so he's the one who has the tattoos all over and just eating the garlic. And um, I mean, his presence on camera and off is just incredible. Like we were just shooting him and I was just like, do whatever you want, right? <laughs> like here's kind of the scene and the setup and what I'm thinking, but like just the way he moves. I think you, I think you really caught on to that. Like there's something really just captivating about it. Um, even his facial expressions. And then uh, in the same video um, that features him majorly, the um, Pumpkin Attack, it's also Elliot Reed, who is another performative artist. And he's another person who just kind of communicates so much through his body, you know, and with the um, movement and the expression of, um, I don't know, his limbs almost, right? Like I say his body, but in a lot of ways his limbs, limbs seem very prominent to me. And I think they're both really beautiful beings and I'm just grateful that they are, you know, they agreed to be in the video. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you said the first person is like kind of a spiritual leader in some ways. I was wondering, is there sort of like a, a spiritual or religious message kind of to the videos, specifically those three? I think so. I mean, so I was raised very Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and with, you know, I think my parents dabbled in Catholicism a little bit too. But one of the things that have really fascinated me over the years is um, kind of how these Western religions, um, like Christianity, mainly Christianity, morph and mix with more, I guess you can call it like native or indigenous religions or certain like mythology of the region. And that kind of, um, the morphing and evolving of the religions to create something else, right? So, like, for example, in Korea, you know, Korea had its own set of mythology and, like, the, creation, the human creation or the different gods and spirits and ghosts and all that was very prevalent. And a lot of that is reflected in the music videos um, as well. So, like, there's a lot of symbology, symbols, with the garlic and the mugwort and the tigers and the movements, they all kind of refer to some parts of the mythology. But then it, I think it also incorporates images from um, the West, different Western religions and, or like different types of practices as well. Because in Korea, like with colonialism, the Catholicism was brought in, right? And then there's also obviously the proximity with um, China and Japan or whatever those states were back then and the Buddhism and different types of Buddhism that come in. There's a little bit like Hinduist aspects as well. So it's kind of like that mishmash of it mm -hmm. um, that I don't think, you know, I think people can take it as, you know, paganism or like cultish or whatever. But I just feel like in a lot of ways, it's just like, kind of makes a painful history of colonialism and imperialism, but also like the people's taking and re-expression of it as a show of like resiliency and also the evolution of spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everyone's just trying to find their own way to find God or their idea of God, you know, so. It's a little bit of a, a long story, but it's a little bit of a reflection of all that stuff. <laughs> no, I, I definitely see it. Um, I think especially um, 
I think he said their name was uh, Elliot Reed. It definitely has like that kind of like Catholic, like penance, like self-flagellation kind of thing. Mm. But it's also like very erotic, which mm. kind of like transforms it into like a like masochistic kind of, you know, way to get satisfaction or whatever. Um, and so that yeah, that is like really interesting having like something that's so you know the the Catholic Christian you know, self-punishment for your sins kind of thing mixed with that. That's funny. Uh, also, it's interesting you mentioned garlic because um, the the garlic part made me think about uh, Buddhism specifically because I'm just, it, I'm not a super, it, you know, I don't know a whole lot about different religions and stuff like that. I'm not religious myself, um, but I'm a very big food person and mm. I love uh, Chinese food, especially like Sichuan food. Um, and I know I, I, I was vegan for a really long time and I got really interested in the, um, like the Buddhist temple food. Um, mm-hmm. and one ingredient that, uh, you know, is common in pretty much every culinary tradition around the world is garlic. Uh, but you can't use garlic in Buddhist temple food. Yeah. Garlic and onions are all, mm-hmm. I know, which is, you know, I kind of understand it. But what a shame, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so so having people eat raw garlic um, with all of that symbolism around, to me, it seemed like it was a very like, almost like sacrilegious, hmm. you know, kind of, again, like I, I said a... before, I wasn't going to talk about what I thought about it. So <laughs> sorry no, for no. that. No, no. I mean, so that's the beauty of it is, you know, I had my own thoughts about what things mean for me and why I brought this together, but I never mean to be prescriptive, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of our approach to, like, the music as well. When we write the lyrics or write these songs, like, I mean, a lot of times people ask what they mean, but we're like, well, here's what we mean to us, and we can offer that, but, like, if people think otherwise of it, then, it's like, that's fine, like, that's great, you know? But mm-hmm. actually, the garlic part, the Korean mythology of human creation is um, there were gods but there were no, and animals, but no human beings. And a bear and a tiger wanted to become human. So the gods told them that they have to go into a cave for, I think it was like 30 or 60 days, and then just eat only garlic and mugwort the entire time. The tiger couldn't do it, ran out. Just did it high, but then the bear did it and then became a woman, the first human woman. And then the gods had sex with her and then created like human babies. Obviously, oh, I mean, awesome. it's a woman, so you gotta, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of, he was kind of my, my bear that became the woman. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I, I noticed um, this isn't a video podcast, so listeners won't be able to see this but you uh, have a, a line of cool masks behind you, um, including <laughs> some animal faces, um, and also a like recurring image in Shushu visual art is masks and oh, stuff yeah. like that. I didn't know if there's any connection or if you're just a mask collector or what, but. Um, I mean, I think both. We just like them, but we also like the things that they connote you know so that that new album came out last year been jamming it ever since uh i don't know what y'all's uh writing process is like um but uh, have you guys been able to uh you know do any writing or pass any ideas back and forth under quarantine yeah we actually have made significant progress with our next album Awesome. Um, unfortunately, because of all the COVID stuff and with the tours being pushed out and everything, we're, I think, probably going to push back the release date. Mm-hmm. I think our original plan was to have it out early next year. Um, but I think, I don't know, things are always changing, but it definitely does not seem to be coming out then. Um, but there's, most of the work, I think, musically have been done. It's all about, like, fine-tuning in and producing in a bit. Um, 
And then we've also been working a lot on the subscription stuff. Uh, you know, just trying to <laughs> pay rent. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, so we've been covering on new song every month. Um, and also, like, in the process, I think we'll be sparked by an idea for a different song, and we'll try to get those down and I'll work on those as well. So it's it's been steady and good. And, you know, in some ways, just not having other well, I wouldn't say not having other distractions, but kind of like being at home, you know, at the computer and with around all your like musical equipments all the time, like makes you mm-hmm. work a little more. Yeah. Uh, y'all, you, you mentioned doing the, the monthly covers. Um, you're for a band that has such a unique style and kind of really no peers for how you sound. Y'all pick some really interesting uh, cover songs and they typically are not, you know, I think what people would expect you to cover, you know, I, I know y'all yeah. did, y'all did a while back. Um, Sharp Dress Man by ZZ Top. I don't even know how to say this. <laughs> kind of like y'all sound uh, having such a kind of like just a traditional Texas blues rock song, you know, is yeah. awesome. No, I, I think I love those. I mean, one of the things about not having a very early like musical background in the way of like knowing about the musical culture is I kind of don't really have a taste. <laughs> like I just listen to anything and everything because I have no like preconceived notion about like what this relates. I mean, I, I do somewhat now, but I think it's not as inherently like repulsive for me per se to listen to pop songs on the radio or like you know country or blues or whatever I'm like sure I'll give it a listen and if I like it I like it and to be honest like some pop songs out there I freaking love like I love (laughs) Sam Smith's voice you know I kind of feel like vocally like his range of voice is kind of like the Roy Orbison of our time I, I know. Okay. That. I mean, hear me out. <laughs> I, no, I can see I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Roy Orbison's voice is incredible. Like, if you ever hear, you know, he had that band with like George Harrison and um, Tom Petty and stuff, and they have this one song with their everyone has a little bit of line, and they sound good. But like, once Roy Orbison jumps in and starts singing, you're like, this man is like so. His vocals are so beyond everyone else's. It's beautiful, right? And like. I think Sam Smith in the way that like his voice has a special tinge to it that like his songs, if it were other songs, other people singing his songs, I'd be like, they're fine pop songs. But when he sings them, you're just like, there's something added to it. And just want to, I always wish I could sing better, you know? So I think I appreciate one of those voices. I totally got distracted. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think in that sense, I kind of just taken everything. I'm like, I'll give anything a listen. And I'm happy to cover songs that, may not fit the bill, I guess, or seem like within our world. Um, and also, I mean, I would say Jamie has a really wide range of music too, like in a different way, because he's been so entrenched in music since he was young, I think he's had listened to everything over his time and has a very deep and meaningful background in it. So I think between us two, we just kind of, find songs that we like and cover them when you're uh when y'all are working on say an original song a lot of the texture of the music comes through and like the sounds and i i know you're responsible for a lot of like the synthesizer and stuff like that do you kind of like do y'all write you know melodies or beats or loops or anything like that and then kind of find the the uh sound for it or do you kind of experiment and find a new you know synth sound that inspires you both yeah Mm -hmm. i would just say both like sometimes we have a melody in mind you know it's because when we're writing sometimes we just write out this we sketch it out on our most comfortable instrument like an easy like the piano or the guitar Mm -hmm. um and then once we start actually recording the songs it may take some different tries and different instruments to find the sound that fits. Um, 
And then sometimes you just find a really cool sound and you're like, yeah, let's do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's kind of your, uh, your synth setup? Do you, are you, uh, like analog synth person? Do you have some kind of crazy MIDI interconnected thing? Uh, between Jamie and I, like we, I would say we have quite a collection. I mean, nothing like, you know, nothing that like true synth aficionados will look at and be like, well done. But I feel like for, for us, I mean, we just try to, um, have, no way. Let me think about this. It's kind of hard for me to get like a clear sense of it too, because, you know, it's a collection that I think we've been really working on over the years. And I know people who are like crazy synth heads and they'll just spend all their paycheck on like the most, anything that they can get their hands on. And I would say like, I'm not that much of a synth head. Like I just like, like experimenting with different sounds, whether they're analog or like, you know, the random pedal that like a kid in Poland makes. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, that's awesome. You know, like, um, is, is there a particular yeah, we have a mix-up setup, for sure. Oh, yeah. Is, is there a particular mm -hmm. synth or, you know, other keyed instrument that is kind of your go-to, like, central to the recording process for you? Um, no. I mean, I would say we definitely use our Moogs a lot uh, because they're just, like, they just sound great, mm. right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, for me, really, like when writing or just trying out things, just like a, I just have a like digital Yamaha with weighted keys that like I have like the way that you play the feel of the playing has to work on an instrument for me. Like it's really hard for me to play like on like a tiny sense. Like I just can't. It's hard to get mm -hmm. the feeling right. So it's mostly about like finding an instrument that I feel com really comfortable with. And then through the Yamaha, I also definitely plug in a lot of different pedals. Um, and that really ranges as well in terms of like where they come from. And I mean, like just over course of classics, like Earthquakers and Best Buy Audio and they like any pedal that they make, I'm like, let me try it, you know, because <laughs> they sound awesome. Oh yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, but... Really, I think it's like that basic instrument that you feel comfortable with enough to just kind of be free and let it go where it wants to go and then just layer in whatever sounds on top of that. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so when did you uh, start playing piano? When I was young. Um, my parents always had me do like the classical piano lessons, you know, from mm. like a neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> So they, I remember like sitting in my neighbor's house and like playing piano, and then she would just be like eating cookies <laughs> while I was playing. I, mean, I, I always had that vision in my head, but um, so pretty young. I didn't like always keep it up, but it was enough that when I had to replay in the future, like I picked it up again. But I have to say, I like learned a lot playing in the band because cl playing classical music, while well, it gave me the foundation for it, um. Playing in a band definitely allow me to be like more free and expressive in a different way than classical music did. Yeah, especially because there's there's just certain uh, musical concepts that or musical truths that don't get broken in classical music that you can break in other kinds of music. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, <clears throat> the the classical side of things. And and some of y'all's songs, the vocals have almost like a operatic kind of quality. And it sounds very, uh, you know, very classical for for lack of a better term. And then some of your songs heavily feature uh, samples of like voices and people talking and arguing and whatever else. Um, and I was wondering what's what's kind of the the discovery process for. Uh, you know, all all of all of the vocals on the albums that aren't, you know, members of the band. Um, I don't know if we really have a set process. 
um, you know, if it's recorded, like other people singing, it's usually just like people we think would make good additions and we usually ask them to record some vocal parts for it. Um, as far as other recording setbacks, I mean, I think a lot of times it's like the process of collection, right? Like over time you hear something and something resonates with you or something strikes you and you kind of see what you can make out of it. Mm -hmm. Just as an example, um, on Pumpkin Attack, like where did that, those uh, vocalizations come from? Oh, so that's Elliot that I mentioned, Elliot Reed, who was in the video. Oh, cool. And me... Super drunk. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't realize no, it. I mean, uh-huh. It kind of oh, gives me the sense of like overhearing a conversation or something. It doesn't, you know, it sounds like it's like a found sound. Yeah. So the idea behind that was, you know, like if you listen to some of those old disco songs or like the old techno songs, like the Detroit techno and stuff, like... Mm -hmm. A lot of it is that quality of like people just talking and recording and like weird sentences and like you walk into a random like conversation in the bar where there are a bunch of drunk girls, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so basically, that's what we we're going for, you know. He was like, "All right, start drinking, and then we're gonna set up this mic, and you just have to just like start talking, mm -hmm. um, and then like heavily edited those afterwards." But, that's awesome. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my subconscious or con drunk conscious. It's a little <laughs> scary to think about, but I try not to think about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess your, your drunk conscious approaches your subconscious more than your normal day-to-day -day reality. So. Yeah, scarily so. <laughs> yeah, I had um, uh, Andrew Wilson from Andros was on the show. Uh, he's a house producer. I don't know if you've listened to him before, but um, he was talking about his soft spot, the soft spot in his heart for all that Detroit techno with the like mm. kind of cheesy uh, vocal oh, yeah. samples over top of it. And we were, we were laughing. They're good. And yeah, when they're it was awesome. Like they're so catchy, right? They get mm -hmm. like stuck in your head and you find yourself saying this ridiculous thing like over and over in your head. So yeah. good. Especially if, if it, does have some kind of a nonsensical, you know, <laughs> pattern to it. Um, yeah. With, with the, you know, electronic music and dance music and stuff, is that something that y'all are a part of? Uh, like, are you a, a fan? Because, <clears throat> you know, you have, you have kind of a, a house influence on a lot of your stuff. Um, mm. I don't know if y'all are, if you or Jamie or anybody else that you collaborate with are house people. <laughs> If that makes sense, like, um, do, do you go to yeah, yeah. go to shows and raves and stuff like that? I totally do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Our electronic music preferences are slightly different. Um, I lived in Berlin for a little bit, and while I was there, like, got really into more like minimalist techno. Oh yeah. So like, just like the things that people find almost boring, but kind of like repetitive and like minimalist techno, but you just like you just get lost in. Mm -hmm. Um, I love those. And then like, you know, LA has a pretty burgeoning, like, or did, um, warehouse music scene where all that, a lot of that stuff was really happening. So go to those. Jamie has a little bit more of like an actual techno background. I'm sorry. I'm like the house background or like was really mm -hmm. into that. Um, so I think, you know, between the two of us, we definitely listen to a fair amount of like those different genres. I mean, the electronic music subgroup or whatever you'll call it. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. That's cool. Uh, I, I love yeah. Germany. What brought you to Berlin? I, I did a study abroad there and then stayed for a little bit just like bartending um, and partying until I realized that as a Asian female who does not speak full in German, there was only so far I could get. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Probably had to leave for the sake of my future. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was um, fun though. It was fun. It was like a little too fun, you know. You know, Berlin was fun, but it was also still um, I don't want to say racist per se, but like 
there were just not there were a lot of expats and foreigners there, but not a lot of like second generation immigrants, especially of like the Eastern Asian background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a lot more because there were a lot of like there's like the Vietnamese population that's coming up there in second generation. And then the rest of Germany, like traveling through it, I got a lot of shit <laughs> for being an Asian female, and I encountered a shit ton of racism that like people felt to acknowledge. And at some point, I, I mean, I, you don't know how many conversations I got into at the same time with Germans being like, "Dude, that's racist," and they're like, "No, no, no, we don't, we don't, we're not racist here in Germany. <laughs> you know, you're foreign." Yeah. And I'd be like, anyways. But don't don't get me into all of that. Oh yeah, no, I definitely I, I had a, a real clearly racist uh, interaction with the cops in Germany once, uh, mm. and it was terrible. And um, we all we all got drinks, um, mm. and the cops came in, and they they're like, oh, we need to see everyone's ID, and then they walked mm. around the table and skipped every German person and just checked the IDs mm. of all these uh, Turkish people. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, I, mean, I mean, it was blatant. Like, yeah. They just skipped yeah. over the white people, basically. It was fucked up. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that, like, other places not racist. Like, now more than ever, we see how that racism is so pervasive on every level. Um, but I think the frustrating thing about me at the time was that people were almost refusing to acknowledge racism. Mm. And there's just, like, even the, like, the progressive people and, like, younger people and professors were like, oh, I'm surprised to hear you're encountering racism in Berlin. You know, we're such a progressive, like, multi-culti city. And I was just like, sorry, like, I don't know what to tell you. You think America is racist, and we are, but, like, mm-hmm. we also have wielded issues and we need to acknowledge, you know? For sure. That seems like kind of what people think about Canada for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then all their history with the indigenous folks. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Just, yeah. They're coming to terms with it slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Um, so you were studying abroad in Berlin. You did law school. Um, mm-hmm. did, you, did you go to law school in the States? I went to Duke in North Carolina. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was hard. I have to say, like, I mean, I live in few different parts of the world, like including Korea. Um, obviously, I was born in Korea, but then I also went back for a little bit as an adult. Um, but I think one of the reasons that I'm back in LA and happened here is because there's really few places in the world that I can be in without someone just assuming I'm from somewhere else. <laughs> And LA is one of the places because there are so many like Asian Americans here mm-hmm. that people just take it for granted that you're probably like an LA girl, you know. Mm-hmm. But in at, in Durham and most of the South in Germany and even in Korea because they can see that I'm like a foreign Korean. Um, I think it was very hard for people people to just like not see me as somebody from another place and who's not a part of part of their current society, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's been challenging. And it was really challenging while I was at, in Durham. And, you know, as progressive as the place that they were, like, I also got called out for being queer, not only being Asian, but like a lot of different things. And that was, that was hard. But it was a learning experience. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like the, you know, the triangle is kind of a bastion of moderately progressiveness in the South. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still also the state with, like, the most KKK members in it and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Fuck the Nazis, dude. Yeah. I actually once got my ass beat by some Nazis because I threw a bottle at them. <laughs> but then, I mean, this was in Germany in like a small town and there was a mm-hmm. neo-Nazi rally that was huge. Like it mm-hmm. was, and they were like, take on the street and one of them started like shouting at me and my friends and then I threw a bottle 
And I, fortunately, my friend lived just around the corner, so we like ran away. But I mm. thought I was gonna get, I thought I was gonna get stomped. I swear. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't. But yeah, I mean, that's too. terrifying. Me too. Yeah. One good thing about Germany I've found is that if you can run away from cops, you won't get in trouble, which is kind of <laughs> maybe one benefit of it. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. running from the cops with one of my friends and we we made it, you know, to some public transit and hopped on a bus. Uh, and then he was just like, okay, well, good, that's over now. And I was like, well, aren't they going to follow us? He was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. So, uh, y'all's new record, um, is there any particular shift or anything going on? Um. Like, you know, musically or thematically or anything? I don't know how much I'm allowed to disclose, but, um, no, I mean, I feel like, I would say compared to the last album or the last two albums, they're definitely a little more, like, song-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like people keep calling us out on that. They're like, you do one song based song album, and then you do like a real crazy one, and then you do a song one, and you do a crazy one. And I'm like trying not to follow the pattern, but it just seems to be what <laughs> happens, you know? So definitely a little more like song based. Um, we have a number of duets, so like a lot of like guest vocalists on it, which is cool because they add so much to all the songs. Um, and then, yeah, just usual, I mean, yeah, usual shushu shit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you say you say usual, but y'all literally don't have two records that sound the same, so. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, it's, I, I don't, I, I'm kind of curious as to, like, how much of it that is, like, a conscious thing and how much it's just, like, it just, can't be helped. You just have to keep evolving and like trying to do something that sounds new and exciting to you. And I'm fortunate, like I'm happy to work with people who encourage that, you know? And it was like, yeah, let's definitely not. Sometimes we have jokes though, because we're like, be listening to something and like, dude, that sounds like a fucking shoot your song. <laughs> like, you let's mean not like get other too... people's music or something no, you're working no, on? No, 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 no. Like something that we're working on. And we mm-hmm. were like, that is some high-level shushiness going on right <laughs> there, you know? Like mm-hmm. sometimes it works and sometimes we're like, ooh, that's too like 1998 shushu or something, you know? Like let's change it up yeah. a little bit. But <laughs> I, I like that you can use the band as a as a adjective to describe something. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, we're try to be self-aware somewhat. <laughs> I I think that's one cool thing about you know uh, bands that aren't you know just guitar, bass, and drums because of the way that you you know compose the music and stuff like that. No matter mm. what, between the records, there's going to be some kind of you know holdover, you know whatever whatever the essence of the band is will be present and everything. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, it's true. Like a lot, it's, it's just like everything else in life, right? Like people change and our tastes change and what we want to do will change a little bit, but no, we're still fucking shoo-shoo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything uh, specifically that you've been uh, listening to a lot recently? Anything striking a chord? I, you know, I think this is just like a lot more of like 60s, 70s soul, R&B, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I've been working on like a solo ambient. Oh, I don't know if you call it like ambient or noise or something, but... um, for that, I've also been listening to a lot of like that genre of music. Um, a lot of stuff from like Lawrence English is like Room 40 and the stuff that he puts out. Um, but yeah, I think um, also like I obviously listen to a lot of pop. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I would say definitely a lot of like old soul and R&B stuff. 
That's cool. So that that new uh, ambient uh, or noise project that you're working on, do you have a, a name for that that we can point people towards? Or is it still kind of in the, the beginning phases? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it probably just come out under my name, probably like Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela's Hall. I don't know. The idea of like doing a band name. I'm like really terrible with names. I'm terrible with dates. I'm terrible at a lot of things, but coming up with a name sounds like too stressful, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll be inspired. <laughs> I'll let you know. We've actually got a pretty cool, um, across the border into Georgia, is a little town called Augusta, where James Brown is from, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going back to all that good old soul. Um, yeah. And there's a uh, small noise label there called uh, Pizza Hell Records. Uh-huh. Um, and they are one of the most, uh, prolific, (laughs) just like record labels I've ever heard of. Like, it's Uh insane how much music they, they produce. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a scene worth, worth checking out. Um, just a lot of weirdness and it's kind of on the, the punk rock side of noise where it's very like DIY and, uh, noisy and, and weird. Yeah. I, mean, I guess, of course, it's noisy, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, like, a lot it of it's out. lo-fi. Yeah, that's, that's Pizza Hell. You should definitely check it out. Um, I will, definitely. Some cool stuff. With a name like Pizza Hell, how can you not, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually another thing that kind of was, I was getting into a lot before COVID showed everything now was like, I was going to a lot of these tiny little punk rock shows in like kids' backyards and I mean, I was, like, the oldest person there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, definitely remember going to some of those, like, in, what, like, January and being like, oh, Jesus, I'm so old. Like, past <laughs> my bedtime. Everyone here is, like, barely 21. They shouldn't be drinking, right? <laughs> but then, you know, like, you just go to, like, write punk rock shows and you're, like, I mean, I think I'm too old to mosh at this point. But I'm, like... <laughs> I feel it. Keep doing it, you know, like keep that energy alive. And, and with everything going on, um, in the news and everything, I definitely have been listening to my share of punk rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta live up to the cliche, you know? No, it's true. Is there anything, any punk rock bands that you're particularly inspired by? Um, you know, I have to say, I could take any recommendations on any newer, like female-led, a uh, female of color punk rock bands. I mean, there's like the class of like, um, you know, like there's like ESG, and I'm like, well, they're not. It's funny. It's like punk rock versus whatever. But um, I don't know. I've been looking. You know, I I hate to say it, but like I feel like even with punk rock, so much space is taken up by male energy and also like white male energy that I mean I'll listen to it but I definitely am feeling like I need some recommendations if anybody knows or you have a list of like awesome women of color punk rock bands send them my way I'll try and think of some I know a good uh, band fronted by a white woman that I just talked to yeah uh, sens- sensual world out of uh, mm. Richmond, Virginia. Uh, they do kind of like gothy, like I'd say like Joy Division kind of influenced post punk kind mm. of stuff. But it's really good, and she has a beautiful voice. Um, yeah. But they, I realized that that only checks one of the boxes. But that's it's, keep my it's eyes open. still step right. Yeah. I know my friend and I have been joking about starting. She's Persian. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've just been talking about starting like a Korean, Persian, like Latin X, queer, like all female band, punk rock band. And like right now we're just like, let's just fucking do it. Oh, if not you, now, when? <laughs> you know, you know, uh, I do have one for you. Uh, Low Hash. Uh-huh. They're a DC band. Um, also goth punk. You can tell that that's what I'm into. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I know they're out there. 
you know oh, I think it's sure. just like yeah. finding them you know and also finding ones that you like gel with too you know mm-hmm. so yeah I, my eyes open I think it's weird like I you know I grew up with a bunch of people that listened to punk rock and to a lesser extent metal and stuff and I think nowadays with how much progress people have made uh like in like the noise scene and it with electronic music and stuff uh there's only a certain amount of heaviness you can get with a drum and a bass and a guitar uh and you can far surpass that with electronic music um which is kind of weird like you know the the heaviest you know metal in the world can't really hold a candle to you know like say sophie or shushu um (laughs) oh it's like it's marrying the two right like you bring in that heavy sense like weight but you put the right beat on it and then like that's where that's where you get super heaviness like i'm i'm very into i think more than jamie like i'm very into the beat right Mm -hmm. i feel like that's it's kind of like breeding you know like when you get it right it will allow you to that sustain that heaviness into almost like a meditative way that just like opens up this this heavy sea of darkness oh yeah oh yeah that's awesome i know exactly what i mean yeah that's cool I mean, I think that's like, I, I wouldn't say that we perfected it, but it's something I feel like we're working towards. Like, how do you bring that, all the, you know, all the things you talked about, like the synth and the gothiness or like the noise. and But with the drums and guitar and everything that has its own magic to it too. And then like finding it in a way that works together. Yeah. Well, I mean, the I, search, the eternal search. But <laughs> that's the cool thing about electronic music since... Theoretically, you can make any waveform, you know, that's humanly possible for your ear to hear. Yeah. Like, nobody's even approaching the heaviest thing, you know, like with infinite ability to, to manipulate sound. You know, we've only been doing it electronically for 60, 70 years. So yeah. there's just so much space for people to make new mind-bending noise after this point, which is cool, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I was thinking about that a lot, like, while I was working to my solo album, too, like, you know, just trying to find something that sounds new, or, like, something I haven't heard before, but you also realize there's, like, a certain limit to it, because chances are somebody has probably done it before, and the reason why you haven't heard it is because it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> <laughs> Because at some point, like, when it's so far beyond this range of, like, pleasure, I guess, or human, like, comprehension, I don't even know what to say it, like, you're just like, well, I just dog whistles now, like, (laughs) what the hell am I going to do with that, you know? So, no, I I, I feel you, like, there's so much I feel like it's unexplored and can be explored, but, and then, like, a lot of, like, the conflict I have is, Okay, this sounds new and it sounds like pretty cool, but does, do people actually want to listen to this? Or is <laughs> it just like just some like yeah. weird, noisy like thing that people will like for a second be like, oh, that's interesting, and then turn it off immediately, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think there's a, a, a time and a place for that kind of, I don't want to say academic but that's the best word I can think of to describe it now. Like that kind of music that exists, not necessarily Mm. just for pleasure, but for the craft of it, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. But I mean, I I think you touched on it earlier with Mm -hmm. how you were saying, like the beat kind of keeps the whole thing going and kind of pushes it into your, your brain. Um, I, I think that, there's lots of ways to do that with, with the beat and with other things mm. where you can bring it into the human realm for, mm. you know, as much as you need it to, to get people to listen to it at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
like I keep saying this, but that's just like the constant search, right? For that, there's so much out there. Like, how do you bring it together mm-hmm. and make it right? But anyway, I have to admit, I have to go back to work. I have a meeting. I have a phone call for gotcha. five fifteen. But um, it was well, nice talking time. to you. Yeah, it was no, awesome talking you for to asking. you. Um, well, I'll keep in touch. Um, but it was great oh talking God. to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Take care. Bye. See you, Angela. This has been a Comfort Monk production.